0: Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Amen. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? It is so great to be back with my family here at Healing Place Church. You guys need to know that I love it here. From the moment I set foot uh, in Louisiana yesterday when I arrived, um, this amazing team and church has been uh, hospitable and caring, and y'all have made sure I got Louisiana'd up, okay? Uh, I have been in big trucks, I've shot some guns and had barbecue already in my time here. Come on, somebody. I'm like official. All I need is like an LSU flag or something like that, a hat. I think I'm I'm about ready to go. Bless God. I couldn't bring that home though it is a joy to be with you it is i just want to give honor to pastor mike and uh what a great friend he is to me and to the team and to be able to preach here uh is such a privilege i really do love preaching to you guys and um thank you for having me back and i want to say also a happy 25th anniversary healing place church god bless you guys god bless what god has done and what he wants to do uh if you have a bible i want to invite you to open it up to john chapter 7 John chapter 7, that's where we're going to be here this morning, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, I want to let you know a little bit about me if you're new and maybe you've never been here before, if you're watching online and uh, you've never uh, heard from me before, uh, just tell you a little bit about myself. I'm from the Bay Area, uh, born and raised in the Bay Area of San Francisco, East Bay, right across the Dumbarton Bridge, about 12 miles south of Oakland. And um, there is a part of me that is still from uh, just that close to Oakland that will come out today. And I want to say you're welcome for that. And um, I also want to let you know a little bit about my, my life. This is uh, a couple pictures of my wife. Uh, this is my, my wife, Brenda, and our little baby girl, Eliana. Aw, I love you, girl. You so fine. I'll see you. Um, Valentine's Day is this week. Hello. Um, and that's Eliana Joy. She's two. I got another picture of her just because this is her. Just I just, everybody just go, ah. I just love her. Love you, girl. See you tomorrow. Um, we are privileged. We're, we're getting um, just ready to do ministry in, in California. We're very excited about what God has for us. Um, I want to say a word of prayer over today's time. I really do believe God has something specific to say to you. No matter where you are, where you're coming from, where you are headed, God knows. And it is no accident that you are here today. And there's no accident that you are here in this message with this time. And if you're watching online, it is no accident that you have stopped what you're doing to tune in. I encourage you to stay tuned in, to deny all those notifications for anything else. Stay right here because I believe God wants to say something specifically. To you, Let's go to him and ask him for his blessing on our time to death together today. Lord, I come before you and I thank you so much for uh, this great church. Thank you for the 25 years that you have blessed, God, that has brought us to today. God, I also pray, God, for the next 25 years, Lord, that you would position Healing Place Church to do the things you have called and anointed it to do. God, thank you for Pastor Mike and Rachel and the team here, God, and all all these wonderful people. And I pray today, God, that you would minister to us through your word, that you would speak to us directly, that today would be tailor-made for us, that where we are, God, you know where we are, and you know what we need to hear today for this week. So I pray you would speak to us directly, God, in a mighty, mighty way, Lord. I also want to say thank you for how good uh, the Golden State Warriors are doing this year. And I pray, Lord, that they would be able to bring back the championship again. And I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. And amen. Well, as I showed you, you know, we've got a, a little girl. And, um, you know, I don't know uh, how it works here in Louisiana, but I know my wife, she's Mexican. All right. So she's got some spice and it's very nice. And, um, until it's not, um, and, uh. (laughs) So, you know, she asked me when I got home one day, she said, honey, can you go to the store to get some baby food? Cause you know, we're, we're coming up short. Now, let me just say real quick, when I say baby food, if you've got young kids now, you know, like me, we don't really have the, the appreciation for what parents used to have to do to feed their kids, right? Cause, cause we got it easy now. See back in the day, I bet there's some old school parents in here. You had to use jars of baby food and that little spoon and you had to do target practice, trying to get it in that kid's mouth. You know what I'm saying? And if you hadn't learned how to do that, kids would have starved all over Louisiana. And in this room, a lot of us wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some of you real, real, real parents, man. I mean, now, I mean, we're lightweight. See, you know, I'm soft. It's not even hard. I don't have to do the jar and the spoon. Shoot, they're little packets now, man, little pants. You just screw the top off, put that thing right in there, man, she feeds herself, right? Very easy. So can we just give a shout out to all the parents in the room right now that did old school jars with a spoon? Come on. Thank you, we we salute you, real talk. So I sent out, now I don't know how it goes here in Louisiana, but there are certain types of baby food that for whatever reason, like all the babies love, okay? And in California, I'm not gonna say it because I know there's people watching online right now from California, and I'm not gonna tip you off because I know what'll happen, okay? I know how some of y'all think, okay? Because I'm from the hood, so I know, okay? You'll go to the store first and you buy them up and I'm not going out like that again. You got me once, you're not gonna get me twice, okay? I went to the store and I didn't know this. My wife didn't tell me this is how it, there's like a game to be played when it comes to getting certain things, right? So I went to the grocery store and every grocery store that I went to, this one type of baby food, this one flavor, all of them were gone. The whole rack was gone. And I'm like, look, I'm like, man, that's gone. Went to the next store, gone. Next store, gone. Next store, gone. Now I went at the end of the day. So all the moms, they already came through and was just like, whoop. I was, I went to all of them, right? All the grocery stores. I even went to the like frou-frou ones, right? Like the organic ones, like Trader Joe's and like Sprouts. Like I went to those, gone. And so I was dejected. I went to this other one and I went to the one kind of like, you know, I don't know how it is, but like in our city where we live, there's like the nice part of town and then my part of town, okay? And then, and, and when we go there, you know, people operate off the rules that I learned growing up, which I'm proud of. And I went in there and I saw there was none in there. And I'm like, man, I was dejected. But see, I knew that we needed more in our house, okay? My wife was clear when she sent me out. And fellas, you know, when when mama sends you out, you better not come home empty or or you better not come home, okay? So I was like, you know, you better get a hotel or something. Don't come home without the baby food. So I was like, I knew I was on assignment. I had to get it. So I went out there, I'm looking for more. And I'm looking at this one place. and I finally got down. And then I I really got desperate, okay? I got all the way down and I'm looking at the bottom just to see and I'm going through all this and you know what I found? I found the gold mine. You know what I realized? There was some other ghetto parent who came in and hid all the ones they liked in the bottom in the back so that when they came back later and had the budget and got paid on Friday, they could get the rest of that food. Now, if you know somebody in this room that's like that, say yeah. Yeah. And if you are like that, say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when I realized it was, I was like, oh yeah, it's on now, boy. And there, it was like the mother load. I mean, it was everywhere. I felt like I was in Goonies and we found like it, it was it. And so I was like, okay. So then I got so proud, right? I FaceTimed my wife because I want her to know like her man, I stop at nothing. I'll get my girl what she need, girl. Talking to you, so I got down in. and I was like, I'm chuckling. I'm on FaceTime, babe, Look at this! Look at this! I found so. Oh, they're all here, and so and then a part of me that like the Christian part of me, you know, he's in he's in competition with the Oakland part of me, right? And the Christian part of me was like, now wait a minute, man. You you should leave some for others who come behind you. You know what I'm saying? And and I'm just sad to report to you today that the Christian side of me did not win the argument. Oakland came right on out, boy. I took all that stuff out, and I was like dropping them. Nope, got them all. Got them all. In that shopping cart, walked up, and I checked everyone out. I'm carrying bags with a big smile on my face. Cause we wanted more. I wanted more so bad that you I would do anything I had to do. And this is not just with baby food, right? This type of intensity of passion is not just, you know, for something as silly as me going on an errand and you know that. I mean, this this word more, if there's anything that I think is critical for us as people who are either here today and you are not in a place where you, know, you have a personal relationship with God where you're not maybe even a person of faith. This word more, I think is a significant word because it's a word that describes what you're looking for. You're looking for more. You're looking for more than what you've got. You've gotten everything you could get for yourself. You've gone out and had what life had to give you. And, and in the end, you still had an ache in your soul for more. It didn't do it. It didn't fix it. You, you know, you've, you've had as you know much entertainment as you can have. You've watched as many shows you can, you know, on Netflix, and you, you've had as many different people to, to hang out with. You've, you've, you've connected and hooked up with people that you'll never meet again. And in the end, with all that fun and all that entertainment and all the joy that you could give yourself for the night, you still know, if you're honest, that you want more because your soul needs more than what it's had. But it's not just those of us that are in that position. It's those of us also, this word is critical for those of us who we have been in church, or we've been with God, or we're people of faith, and you believe, and you have believed, and you've been believing, but this is what can happen. If after a while, what we're not careful to watch, this word more starts to be something that those of us that have been in church for a while, been in faith for a while, more is a word that we reserve for those who just need to come to salvation, right? It's a word that we reserve for those who just, you know, are at the dream center, right? They're trying to get their life together, and they just need more Jesus to kind of catch on up to where we've been for so long, right? More can be a that we describe those that are, you know, just coming out of a divorce or just getting off of a bankruptcy or just dealing with some really unruly children or they need more, but I'm I'm been with God. I mean, well, I, you know, I'm kind of got there. I've arrived, I've achieved, I've, I'm, I'm settled. And this is what's dangerous to that is that if we're not careful, our faithfulness, watch this, our faithfulness, though it should be honored, because without the faithfulness of, of the people of God, I mean, we wouldn't have what we have. We stand on the shoulders of the people in this room who have been faithful. But if we're not careful, our faithfulness can accidentally turn into complacency. And we can become complacent and stagnant where we think there's no more that God wants to do in our heart. We're not looking for more. We're not pressing in for more. We're just checking into church and kind of doing our thing. We sing our songs. We tithe and we're faithful right? We volunteer, we're faithful, but there's no sense of urgency to know him anymore. There's no newness to it. There's no, we're just almost like you've scaled one side of the mountain called God, and that's the only side that you know, and you think that's almost come to accidentally think that that's almost all there is. And God is so expansive and so mighty and so great, you could never exhaustively learn and find all there is. And the dangerous part for those of us who have been in church for a while is that we will become content in a complacent and stagnant area. And the word more isn't in our spiritual vocabulary. We're not looking for more. We're not seeking him for more. We're not leaning in for more. And so more is when you're listening to sermons, right? You you, you know that, oh yeah, that's, somebody else in this room needs to hear that one, right? And I know there's probably some of you in this room right now that that's probably some of the thoughts you're thinking. You're sitting there right now thinking, I really hope my husband's listening to this. Right? And then some of you are like, I really hope my wife's listening to this, right? I hope so-and-so's sitting there. And can I just politely say something to you? I mean, I know I'm from California and I'm your guest, so I'm going to say this as gently and guestfully as possible. There's a chance that God is not trying to talk to them right now, but he's trying to talk to you and you just not listening very well. Just a chance. And so with all due respect, I'd like to ask you if you could Stop listening to the sermon for them and start listening to the sermon for you because he speaks to you and he wants to talk to you and he doesn't want to talk to them more than he wants to talk to you. In fact, he actually really wants you to hear this, that he has something more for you today. So how do we do this? Because here's the reality. If we're really honest, some of your marriages need more than what you have to fix it. Okay? You're dealing with real stuff right now. Some of you are raising teenagers and you need more wisdom and more truth and more understanding and more strength and more patience than you have. You need more from God than what you have. Some of you are raising kids. Some of you are dealing with your grandkids and you're help raising them. And it's, and it's, it's, it's parents that got divorced. You got blended families and you're trying to figure that thing out, right? Some of you got new jobs, but new pressures. You have new stresses because you have new money to try to deserve and to keep and you're worried about losing it, but now that's stressing out the family and wife is feeling like you're not as dialed in, and you're feeling like she doesn't understand how much it takes to give her the life that you're trying to give her and the kids, and there's this stress on you, and you need more endurance, understanding, wisdom, patience. For some of your marriages, you need more love, more forgiveness, more romance than you know how to conjure up, and you can't get it on your own. If you could, you'd have it, but you don't have it, because what you need is more than what you have. Some of us need more money. We need God to bless us. Some of us need more wisdom. And can I say this? Some of us, we need more forgiveness, right? We need more forgiveness because we've done more than we've done before. And we're sitting here realizing, like, I feel shame and guilt, and I need more forgiveness, and I need more forgiveness And some of us need more, not watch this, not forgiveness for me, but God, I need you to give me more forgiveness for somebody else who's hurt me. Because some of you have forgiven things that are huge. And if we knew the stuff that some of you have already had to forgive, we would stand in attention and say, wow, ma'am, wow, sir, I applaud your fervency to forgive. You've forgiven some really big stuff. And that's why some of you sit in this room right now, surprised that you are actually struggling to forgive again some things that are almost seemingly not as big as the stuff you've forgiven before. What do we do when we need more than what we've got. And see, especially those of us either that are here today and we're looking for truth, we're looking for answers. We don't know what we would call ourselves, certainly maybe not a Christian, maybe a spiritual person. I would, I would ask you today to, to, to consider the idea of more than what you have. And, and Jesus today wants to make that clear to you. And, and, and if we are people of faith today, that we would not allow ourselves to accidentally, you're good, you love God, you're faithful, you've been faithful, and we're grateful for that. But that we won't accidentally let faithfulness stumble, slip, just kind of become. And before you know it, it's just here. It's not moving forward. There's no more we're looking for. We're just there. And Jesus actually knew that we were going to struggle with this. He knew the temptation of humanity. And so in the Bible, this is why I love being a preacher. That's why I love being a Christian. It's why I love the Bible is because God put the truth that we need for today right here in the scripture. And so I wanna look into something John said. And if you're not a Bible reader, John was the first um, eyewitness account holder of Jesus's life, death, and his resurrection. And he wrote his story and his version of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And in this story, he's wanting us to see some things that Jesus said about himself being something that was really important in his day. So I wanna zoom the scripture in uh, the lens of scripture down in on this thing and in John chapter 7 if you don't mind joining me Jesus says something about himself and he says there is a place of more for you I have more for you be it because you have that ache in your soul and nothing you've tried has quenched it because I know there's some of us in this room you tried it all you do anything to try to get the ache in your soul to go away and it hasn't it's still there Jesus has something he wants to say to that today And and again, those of us that, you know, we're with Jesus. We know the ache is only quenched by him. We tried it and then we found it. But after we found it, we kind of got used to it being in the house, right? We got used to it just doing what it does. And now it's not a point of more. We don't pursue. And Jesus has something to say to that today as well. Chapter seven of John, verse 37, Jesus said this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Everybody say loud voice. Come on, you can't say loud voice with a quiet voice. Somebody say loud voice. voice. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I want to go back to verse 37, where Jesus says this phrase. um, Before he does, John records this idea. He says, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stands up, and and he says that he stood up, and he said in a loud voice, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, I was reading this about a month and a half ago, and as I was reading it, I've read this. I'm a person of faith. I'm a person of the Spirit. If you're a person of, you know, the Spirit and you believe in that, then you know these verses. These are not new verses for those of us in that space. We are people who are like, yes, living water will come and if you're thirsty, come to me and he will quench it. I mean, these are verses I was familiar with, but for whatever reason, Jesus kind of highlighted and just put a spotlight on this phrase and it jumped out at me and I was was struck by it because John records not just the phrase. The only thing you need to say for me to be able to, to be encouraged to pursue the spirit of God or living water or to get my thirst quenched in my soul by Jesus, it's for you just to say that he said that. I don't need the additional information, but for whatever reason, verse 37, it says that John wrote, on the last, watch this, on the last and the great. put it up there for me, on the last, right there, on the last and the greatest day, Jesus stood up and said, the last and the greatest day of the festival. So then all of a sudden I thought, okay, well, what festival is this? And why, what's it got to do with being the last? And what's it got to do with being the greatest? Why is that significant? Why did John include that? See, this is why I think it's important for us to not just be Bible readers, but to be studiers. Like, don't just read the Bible, but study the Bible. Go into it. Find out what's going on in there, because that's where you really can find out some stuff. Everybody say, there and then. There and then. Say it again. There and, there and then. Every time I come here to preach, whenever I'm here and anytime I travel anywhere, I always preach from a perspective I call there and And then for me, what that does as a pastor, as a preacher is it makes sure that I remind the people and remind myself that if we don't understand what was going on there and then in the Bible, then we can't understand how to apply it in the here and now, okay? We need to understand the world of the Bible if we're gonna understand the words of the Bible, okay? If you don't know the world it was written in, you can't understand the words it's trying to say. So we need to know there and then what was happening there and then. And so on the last and the greatest day of this festival, there's something really interesting that is happening. See, God's people, the Jewish people were called to do a festival and they did it every year. Okay, and this festival was a big big deal. We don't have anything in American Christianity that even compares to it because we don't stop working. They would stop working. They would take 10 days of reflection just to get ready for this festival and they'd be thinking through who they are. Are they being the people that God called them to be? Are they being the the husbands, the wives, the, the sons, the daughters, the moms, the dads, the businessmen and women? Are we doing what we're supposed to do to reflect God to our world? Then they would have these festivals where it would be massive celebration and they'd be appreciating watch this, they'd be appreciating what God had done for them years ago. They would build these little tents. And for that week, God instructed them to build little tents and they would not live in their homes. They would get outside and live in these small little tents built by sticks. But the top of the roof would be open so that at night, for the whole week of celebration, at night, they would look up and see the stars so that they would be reminded it is God who provides for you a roof over your head. This was a powerful symbol, not only that, but they would do that for a week because when they were in the desert, they didn't have homes, they didn't have a city, they didn't have anything, they were, they were just abandoned, it seems, by anything, and that was where they remember. But God answered us, God was there for us, God, he did for us. And they would also do something else that is so amazing. One of the leaders, the rabbi, would go into the pool of Siloam, which Jesus heals a guy. If you're a Bible reader, you're familiar. Jesus heals a crippled guy by this pool at another portion of Scripture. These guys, these rabbis, these leaders would go with huge cisterns of water every day of the festival for the whole week. Fill them up with water and they would carry them back to the temple. Now the temple was the pinnacle of worship for the Jews. And in Jesus' day, Jesus was a Jew, a good Jew, the best Jew, the best leader, the best version of Christianity of what it means. And so that he was at the festival. And in this festival, every day of the festival, they would go to the top of the steps of the temple. Now the temple the temple was where God's presence was. You had the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies, okay? The Holy of Holies was where the spirit of God was. And that was where they knew, if we need healing, we need God's presence. That's where we hear from God. That's where we encounter God. His presence is in there and we require it. We need it. We can't be who God's called us to be without coming back. They would pilgrimage to the temple to make sure they Experience God's power, God's presence, God's voice. It was so critical for them. But while they were there, this festival was intended to help them remember what God had done. So they would get these huge cisterns on the top temple steps. And then at this one point where the celebration was going off, and, and festivals, is, it's incredible if you think about it. Because right now, of all the places to preach this message, I mean, this I think can resonate here. You're right now in the middle of festival season right here in Louisiana, right? And we got Mardi Gras going on. And this is, this is like, what's going on? Things, lots of people, lots of music, lots of loud. These people are doing it for the purpose of trying to remember who God called them to be. But it's loud and it's festive and it's crazy. And then at this one point in time, they would take these cisterns of water and they would tip them over and the water in these huge cisterns would go gushing out and rushing down the steps, cascading down. And it would symbolize this really powerful moment that happened in what we call the Old Testament, but what they just called their law, their prophets, their Torah. And there was a story about when the Israelites were, up, were out in the desert and there was no water. Nothing. They were destined to die because they had no water. And God told Moses, take the staff in your hand and strike that rock. And when he did it, he struck the rock. And the Israelites in the thousands, hundreds of thousands, watched water come out of a rock like that happens ever. So it was miraculous and they remembered it and it was powerful and they were like, oh my goodness. So they retold this story every year. And you know what they did? They retold this story even though it had been a long time since water had ever come out of any rock. I mean, you gotta remember, Jesus comes into a setting where it is not going well for the Israelites. The Jews are not doing well. You have a Roman government that is killing and oppressing anyone that disagrees with the statement, Caesar is Lord. If you did not agree that you thought Caesar was God's son, they would send Roman officials in and kill your village. You were oppressed, you were killed, you were small, and they were attacked, and it's in this space they would come and celebrate, and they would proclaim to their kids and their kids' kids that God himself, God himself, was still faithful, was still worth worshiping, was still worth praising, even though we ain't seen rock spit out water in a long time, but I'm here. We ain't seen a miracle like that in a long time, but I'm still singing, I'm still watching. And the water cascading down the steps was a reminder of that day when God had Moses hit that rock and water came miraculously and freed them and saved them and helped lead them. And what he was saying was, the Spirit of God and the Holy of Holies... It will rush water down just like he has for ages and ages and ages. And some of us need to remember that. Some of you might be in a season where it's been a while since you've seen water come from the rock. But that is precisely where we need to be faithful and be strong and press in and say, but I still believe there's more, God. I believe more can come. It might've been a while since it has, but I'm not gonna let that deter my faith. And that's what they were doing. But they had good reason to question it, but they still showed up and they would do this. Now this would happen every day except the last Day of the festival. The last day was the greatest day because this is where the water wouldn't flow because they wouldn't need it to flow because it would have demonstrated God has provided enough water, we can now live. And they would say this to everyone and remind themselves of this. Now watch, the water's coming down from the Holy of Holies and this this signals that God's flow of power and love and redemption and the water from the rock is coming out. It's coming down the steps from the temple where God's presence is and we need to go to get that water. Now, with this there and then in our mindset, freshly in our minds, let's go back and read what Jesus says and see if it won't say something new to us today that we need to hear as individuals and Healing Place Church, you need to hear as a church. Verse 37, John writes, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, where the water does not go down the steps, but where for the last week they've watched water go down steps, they've been living in these tents, they've been telling themselves truths that they maybe haven't seen in a long time, and now the water doesn't flow because they're basically saying, you know, we're trusting that God is going to supply, even though we're still an oppressed people. It's on the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, which now you understand why Jesus got to say it in a loud voice. He's at a festival. Can you imagine going down Bourbon Street trying to get everybody to pay attention to you? Like on Tuesday? Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, guys, 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 guys. That ain't going to get the job done. You ever try to get a bunch of kids at a, at, a, at a party to be quiet? You can't do it. Much less a whole festival full of people. You ain't going to do it. So Jesus stood up with a loud voice, but he's about to say something that his people understood what he was saying differently than we do when we read it sometimes. Jesus stands up with a loud voice and says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now this is the first of the two statements Jesus says. I wanna land on the first for a second because now he's referring to a very famous prophecy that one of their very heralded and like respected prophets had said. His name is Isaiah. If you're a Bible reader, you maybe have read some of Isaiah. Isaiah talks about the virgin birth. He talks about the Messiah coming. And a very famous portion of scripture for these people in Jesus's day was Isaiah chapter 12, verse one through four. I'm gonna read it for you. But in here, this is where Isaiah points to their Messiah. Now you and I don't really care about the word Messiah a whole lot emotionally, because we have a Savior, we have Jesus. But to understand this, I mean, it's like, you can't, I don't even know how to step to it. I don't even know how to give it to you. It's like, uh, a little kid, Santa Claus is coming to town times like a billion. It's like, if you knew that you knew that you had a chance tomorrow, if I told, if I told you um, and I'm, I'm trying to relate it to America's like messed up version of faith. If I told you tomorrow, here's the winning numbers for the lottery. And you, you, hey, holla, just tithe. Okay, just tithe. <laughs> Leave a little bit over for our church plant in California too, if you don't mind. I mean, we would flip out like what? The anticipation would be like, For these people, the Savior, the Messiah was the one that was going to fix everything. Make it so they weren't oppressed. Some of you in here, there's an opportunity for you to be more oppressed than others at times. If there was someone that prophesied and promised you, one day someone will rise, and when they rise, they will set it all right, and you will not be the oppressed woman, the oppressed man, the oppressed son or daughter. It will change history for you. Watch this. This phrase that Jesus says is pointing back to this prophecy. I wanna read it for you. It's in Isaiah chapter 12, verse one through four. Watch this. They all knew this and Jesus is referring to it. It says this, in that day, Isaiah is writing about a prophecy about the Messiah. One day, the guy who's going to come, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. And, And surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord, talking about Messiah, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation, right? He quenches my soul. He's what I need. Watch this, verse three. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So he's pointing, this Messiah prophecy points to Jesus. And Jesus stands up in the middle of everybody there for this festival who all know what that verse means and who it's pointing to. And he gets up and he basically makes a thousand, many thousand year old scripture verse about himself. That's why when people that I talk to sometimes say, well, I don't know if Jesus ever explicitly said that he was the Messiah or if he, well, they ain't studied it because he stood up right in the middle of that and said, "Um, uh, if you are thirsty, come to me. I'm the joy of your salvation, I'm the joy of water. The well you drink from me, the thirst you're looking for, the quenching of your soul's hunger, the reason you can't go to sleep at night at rest, the reason that you watch Netflix and Hulu and and, Sna- and all the things that you try to do all night long just to try to be at peace, to try to go to sleep, to try to be okay, but you still wake up the next day, not okay, go to sleep, not okay. You could be in the arms of someone and not be okay. You can do all you wanna do and not be okay. Why? Because Jesus is saying, you don't need more of that. You need more of me. If you're looking for more, Jesus says, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm preaching better than you responding right now. I'm up here sweating and out of breath. And I'm not out of shape, so I'm doing it. Jesus says, if you're looking for more. I'm the one you're looking for. If you're thirsty, if you're tired of that ache in your soul, if you're tired of that emptiness at night, if you're tired of again going to the same thing that you already know doesn't answer the thing you need in your heart's ache, if you're thirsty, if you come to me, you can drink. And it will quench. But Jesus doesn't stop there because he's talking to those of us who don't know that that's what happens. Now he flips it, okay? Now he turns it on those of us who have been people of faith, okay? In in the Pastor Chris-like version of the Bible, he flips the script. Some of y'all don't know that, that's fine. But this is where Jesus basically says, okay, okay, cool, but don't get it twisted because it's not just about you. I know that's not in your scripture, it's in mine. If you read mine, mine says, Jesus said, but don't get it twisted because it's not about you. Right here in mine. Because it's not just so you could get your thirst quenched. Jesus wants us to know no, 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 there's something else going on. Because then he turns it and says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. Now, wait a minute. Where did this water just flow from at the last and the greatest day? What did they just for the last week watch water do? They just watched an example and a symbol of the water come from the inside of the Holy of Holies down the steps of the temple, flowing, cascading down, rinsing their sin, washing over them, reminding them of water from the rock that is miraculous and only going to come from the Spirit of God. And in that space, Jesus then says, that kind of living water that used to come from a rock ain't just going to come from a rock. It's going to come from me. And the water you're used to seeing come from the Holy of Holies in the temple ain't just going to come from a building. But now it will come because I will put the Spirit of God inside of you. And watch this. You now will become the new temple. I'm not just going to have water come from a building. I'm going to send a bunch of little mini temples all the way out through the world. And water will will flow down the steps of your soul to your children, to your marriage, to your grandchildren, the people you work with, everyone around will have it rinse over them and come out of them. If you come to me and thirst and are believing, he says, you will allow the living water that people are thirsting for will flow right out of you. Come on, somebody. Give Jesus a praise in this place. They knew what he was talking about. He wanted us to know there's more. There's more for you. And can I tell you something if you're a person of faith? Can I say something honest to you? The reality is, this is why it's so critical and important for you to understand. We need you to keep pressing in for more. Why? Because you are the conduit of the living water coming down the steps of your soul for your life and for those lives who will come around your temple, who are looking for God, who need to feel and sense from God. And I want to tell you, Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, that's the phrase he said. Now his word, the Greek word for this belief means to totally turn your life towards the things that Jesus is about because you believe in him. It's our way in American like belief, our word for believe now is like, you know, I believe like philosophically, but I'm not gonna change my life. I won't reorder my life around what I believe, but I still believe it. But Jesus doesn't have our American Christianity definition or even just our American definition of the word belief. His definition of the word belief is you believe this so much that you will reorder your life around it. Now, can I tell you this? He says, that's what will get living water to come flowing out of you that will impact other people, is turning your life and reordering it around me." Now I want to tell you this so you don't hear me you know giving you hard like coming down on you, you can put your belief, even philosophically in him. He says, "If you just come get quenched, you go to heaven. Right. Jesus ain't saying you're not going to go to heaven. If you believe in me, even if it's not reordering your life, but you've put your trust in me and you know I'm the savior. And, and you don't do anything else, he's saying, that's not what I'm asking you to do. That's not the living water coming out, but you'll still go to heaven. You just ain't gonna take anybody with you. And the question you have to ask yourself is this, do you wanna just go to heaven and just get there? Or do you wanna make sure that your kids come to heaven too? Do you want to make sure that your spouse gets to heaven? Do you want your grandkids to go to heaven? Do you want their friends' friends who come over for the pool parties to go to heaven? Do you want other people to experience the flow of the Spirit of God? Because if so, we can't just be like, yeah, I believe. I mean, I don't really reorder my life around it. It's kind of just this thing I believe is true, but I don't really want God to become my God and tell me what I can and can't do. I feel like I'm a pretty good God. What do I need him for? I like to tell myself what I can and can't do. I don't need him to do it. And here is where the crux is. Jesus says, you, you could even wrestle through that. And even if you in that messed up way still say, but Jesus, I know even in that mess chaos, you still, I think are the savior of the world and you're the only God. Jesus says, if you believe and put your trust in me in that way, you probably come to heaven. But friends, is that it? I, I don't want to just make it myself. I want Eliana to grow up in love. Jesus, not know about Jesus, not hurt him every now and then at Easter or Christmas or whenever I got up in the morning and didn't want to watch football or golf or something on TV or when I decided the grass wasn't as important as her soul. No, no. I want my daughter, I want my wife to know that I believe that I am one of the working temples of the Holy Spirit and I need more of him so I could get the Spirit to come in and the water and the living water will flow down onto Eliana and it will flow into my wife's life and into the people who are around me because can I tell you this when you aren't pressing in for more people can tell and you know who the last person to find out will be you everybody already knows you stagnant ain't nobody shocked to hear so you haven't been pressing into Jesus lately they can tell. Why? Because you, 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 get, you get irritable faster. You get angry more. You, you know, you're less generous. You're, you're, you're less kind. You, you, you just, you're, not, you're, you're not what they remember you being at your normal self, but your normal self has changed to a different normal. And, and, and it really takes a real friend that will sit down with you and say, hey, we've been friends a while. Okay, I love you. You know I love you, right? You know I love you and I'm in it to win it forever. Don't matter. Even if you don't, whatever. But I got to tell you some things i got to ask you some things. I'm not going to tell you. In fact, let me strike that. I'm going to ask you some things. I don't want to tell you anything right now. Let me ask you. How are you, how are you doing right now in your heart with Jesus? Have you, have you been pursuing more of him or just surviving? is, is he stayed a priority or has he just kind of become a part of the furniture in the house? Is he just a part of just... The wall painting. At first, it was the first thing we did. It was really important to get the right furniture, but after a while, it's just the stuff that's in the living room. How are you doing? Because sir, ma'am, listen to me. There are kids in your home. There are people in this church. Can I tell you this? There are some of you that this last 25 years, some of you helped build Healing Place Church to what it is. But I'm gonna tell you right now, God's not done with you yet. God's not done with Healing Place Church. There are little girls like my little girl in your nursery right now that need the next 25 years of Healing Place Church to be as important to you as the last 25 years were. And they need you to press into God and to want more of him so that the cascading water and the living water will pour down, not just on your kids that already grew up, but on the kids' kids and kids you ain't never gonna meet. And maybe some of you in 25 years won't still be here. You'll be in heaven but we will need you to pour out and to say, God, I need more because there's still more of you and these people need more of you. And I want the living water to get down on all of them and the generation and generation and generation, the next 25 years needs you to not just be faithful. We need you to want more of Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.